Welcome to the Cloud Architects Podcast, a podcast about cloud, technology, and the people using it. The Cloud Architects Podcast is sponsored by Kemp Technologies. Choose Kemp to optimize your multi-cloud application deployments and simplify multi-cloud application management. A single pane of glass for application delivery, Kemp provides a 360-degree view of your entire application environment and even third-party ADCs. Download Kemp 360 for free today at kemptechnologies.com. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Cloud Architects Podcast. We're still at Ignite. It's day four. Feet are sore. We are severely caffeinated. And we've lost Warren. And we've lost Warren. Again. again. Which, which happens sometimes, but alas, you still have us. So I'm Nicholas Blank here with Christopher Goosen. Hello. And we have two special guests today to talk about a topic that is very close to Christopher and my heart, which is Outlook on the Mac. So welcome to our guests. I'm going to ask you both to introduce yourselves very quickly and tell us what do you do at Microsoft? I'm Jessica, and uh, I am a product marketing manager for Outlook for Mac. I'm Alessio. I'm the group product manager for Outlook for Mac. Stunning. Stunning. So let's just start this whole discussion with where we, we were about to go, which is Windows and Mac, they're not the same thing. They're right. not. So why is it reasonable to expect that we don't have 100% feature parity between the two products? It is a great question. And it's a question that everybody uh, always asks. I've joined this team seven years ago, and we've been working at that for a long time. Um, ultimately, the story of the product is uh, different uh, on Windows and on Mac. Windows Outlook was developed, and I joined Microsoft to work on Microsoft Outlook when it wasn't called Microsoft Outlook 22 years ago. Yeah. Uh, when it was still called Project Ren, um, and has 25 years of development on top. Wow. It comes from an era of the client was a strong uh, factor between client and server. Yeah. So it has a ton of features, and I love it. I love that product, I've worked on that product for a long time. They're really uh, client-based. Um, Outlook for Mac comes from a different, really point of origin, which was a consumer product. It was the first version of, I believe, Outlook Express on Mac. It was the first version it was ever made. But it became uh, a consumer product, and then eventually, I think in the entourage years, became uh, a part of the picture of also enterprise, having some connection to um, connection to uh, exchange. Mm. But at that point, the story of MAPI was pretty much sealed in. MAPI is super powerful, but also, and we looked at it, porting it was not a, an option. And it's also expensive as a product. Uh, yes. And that goes along with size of team. Like cloning the Outlook for Windows team would be, both in people and knowledge, a massive effort. Yeah. And also, in that period of time when Outlook moved from Entourage and we got called Outlook 2011, uh, the conversation in exchange was, okay, what protocol is the protocol of the future, right? Mappy is, is still here, it's here to stay for a longer time, but uh, exchange was really looking at other protocols, and EAS and EWS were two protocols of the future. And I'll be honest, the plan was really, the EWS was going to be the protocol that was going to replace MAPI across the board is going to be, we're going to align across this protocol and that's what's going to happen. Yeah. EAS is the smaller protocol that we really don't really think it's going to get a lot of adoption. Uh, EAS is Exchange Active Sync. Yes, e e EWS, Exchange Web Services, and EAS Active Sync. 
And then the mobile era happened. And all of a sudden, exchange fund itself in control of a heavily used protocol, ActiveSync. Every uh, mobile device uh, provider licensed it and then became the focus of their investment. EWS had got no adoption. It's, I think it's a little bit used in other discovery in uh, Outlook for Windows, but um, it's not really used anywhere else except for us and uh, Apple Mail. So eventually the dynamics and economics of the coding and, uh, and investing made it so that EWS got invested less and less on. That meant no APIs, no exposure of features. And then at the point I came in, <laughs> I mean, not because uh, when I got in seven years ago, the story became this feature is in Apple for Windows, why is it not in Mac? And it's really because of protocol. Yeah. Right. There's no APIs. We cannot plug in many, many things. And even today, when I come every year to Ignite, I have these conversations. We took a path seven years ago when we basically had to start building the product from the ground up. Um, when um, Outlook 2011 had a lot of issues with database, who was using a, a uh, private type of database that were all the stories if you've been using Outlook 2011 you know that every 20 minutes you'd be told you need to rebuild uh, yeah. your your uh, database <laughs> uh, we moved to SQL uh, and that those issues went away but still EWS was the most problematic part because also the product was developed in a period of time where again the client is the strong part of the equation with client server so there was a lot of the client tells the server, you know what, look, I have a conflict. I, and there was a lot of churn of code, a churn of traffic on the net. S that made the product incredibly slow and still is today because of EWS usage. So we worked towards addressing a lot of problems, database, reliability of many, many things. But uh, the main problem there still remained was EWS. And um, as we announced yesterday, we're moving away from it. We're moving to the native uh, uh, Microsoft Sync technology Outlook uh, for uh, mobile and the Windows 10 applications already use. Uh, we've been using it internally, we've been very quiet about it because uh, we were also were the first thick client, as we call it, uh, to use this, not a mobile device or a consumer application to use it. So it's the proof is in the pudding and we're really trying to see well, can he really hold on to a enterprise level application? And we've been blown away by how fast it is and reliable it is. And a lot of the problems that we had historically with AWS, magically, well, not magically, but through the work of uh, 25 people between Redmond, Sunnyvale, and Bangalore, really uh, uh, not vanished, but definitely got a lot better. Yeah. And ultimately moving to this uh, platform, which is a platform and, and a protocol sync that gets heavily invested on by Microsoft, it will allow us to finally be able to say, you know what, this feature is coming. This feature is coming, we're going to add more and more value. Not, our goal is not to reach better with Windows. I'm never going to do that. It's not, I'm, uh, sorry, I use I a lot of time, but it's not me, but it's, there's a lot of things on the client and Windows that even Windows Apple would say, yeah, if we could go back in time, we wouldn't do that. Mm. I think there's a fundamental difference also between the way people on, like Mac users work differently to Windows users, yeah. right? So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to try and match like for like yes. in many mm. instances. Um, but I think to your, to your point of, of, of sort of the history of this, I've been using the Mac client since the Entourage days. Yep. And so I've kind of gone the late Entourage days, albeit, right? And then I went to, to, to uh, Outlook for Mac 2011, which I used for a while. And so and now into the 
2013 iteration, I guess, of where we are today, right? And I've seen a fantastic improvement over that time, um, which, which means, I guess, for us, we're a fair bit more patient in terms of that feature parity because we've seen where it's come from. It's similar to like the old, uh, you know, remember the old uh, Skype for Business client on the Mac that basically was like a meeting client. And yeah. That's all it yeah. did, right? Yeah. So, so that's fantastic. And we've, we've heard the rumors of the new client. Yes. So we're very excited about, about, yeah. about the new client and very, you know, I mean, you know, can we, can we dig into a little bit what, um, what that means for us? Sure. And, and also, you know, how do we get involved? How do we, how do we, Try it, test it, run it. Absolutely. Um, four things. As Outlook moves to, Outlook for Mac moves to the Microsoft Cloud as the foundation that's built upon, FastSync through the Microsoft Sync technology, FastSync, but also reliability. You use in Outlook for a long time, you know, are you sure they're really Outlook synced when you open the lid, or do you need to click that button? We want to make that button. If you want to keep that button, we want it to be a placebo, but we want to make sure that as you move between networks or you open and close the lid, it's synced as soon as you look at it. That's the first thing. And that's the strength sync, and also not pegging anymore your, uh, uh, your CPU, your battery, your memory, which Outlook for Mac right now does a lot because a lot of conflicts keep trying to resolve conflicts with the, with the server and keeps on trying and trying and trying. Those things go away. Second thing, online search. We're moving away from Spotlight, and we're moving to online search. So you're going to have consistency of search across all the clients, Windows, Outlook, Mobile, OWA, all those. We're using the same technology. We're moving away from Spotlight. Mm -hmm. We've had historical problems with indexing a Spotlight. Yeah. If you're a, what we call power user, mm -hmm. uh, you, can, you can figure out how to re-index it, but the index breaks down pretty often. And also we partner with Apple to, when we're offline, to move to Core Spotlight, which is a lot more reliable. We're going to keep on using that, but only in offline. Second. The third thing is design. We strongly believe, and we heard from customers, it's not just an opinion, it's that, they're that users of Mac are users that choose the platform. Mm -hmm. And I came from Windows Outlook when I moved to, uh, to Mac. And my opinion is like, you know what we need to do? We need to put the Windows UI on Mac and people are going to love it. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't be more wrong. That's 2016. That's because of me, and I apologize. Um, instead, the feedback is like, no, no, we want to. I buy a Mac. I want to use a Mac. I want a product that feels at home on Mac. And design. Really, we did a lot of work on this new product to make it feel at home. Give you the same power of Outlook, mm -hmm. but give you the sense that it's really designed for this product, not simply a copy and paste. The connection that people have with email is very visceral, mm -hmm. and the kind of overall look and feel has to be genuine to the platform. But that's not enough. We also want to use intelligence to empower the design to do things uh, that you couldn't do before, do things you were doing before in a certain difficult way, mm -hmm. simple way. And if you, uh, if you use the product that it's in preview now, you will see that we have simplified a lot of scenarios, like creating meetings, it's two clicks instead of open one, go to schedule assistant, fight, uh, learn judo uh, yep, to yep. make it happen. Inevitably, uh, I always end up scheduling meetings at quarter past the hour. For some, yeah. I, I, and I don't understand why that happens. <laughs> but I, maybe it's just my fingers or my <laughs> mouse clicking is, is off. But I'm yeah. always scheduling meetings like 10.15 to 11.15. I'm like, no, no, I actually need it at 10 o'clock. Yeah. Who does that, right? Mm. It's uh, Outlook Mobile for me is I'm also fat fingering the client all the time. Yeah. 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 So we did a lot of that. And the last, uh, the last thing which is really important to enterprises but also users is this new sync technology gives it a possibility to implement features faster. The problem in the past, of, and this is, I think, in common knowledge, if it isn't, should be like 
uh, the, all the outlooks were developed by different organizations. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the result is when we finally converged four years ago, it was like, hey, everybody uses different protocols. We have 35 different teams and to light up the simplest feature, mm -hmm simultaneously, at least semi-simultaneously, is taking major effort. So instead of just the fact that we have aggregated teams and have aggregated protocols, progressively going to aggregate more, it's going to make it a lot easier. How, you want, how we can use it, we released it yesterday to Insider Fast, which is the, the most experimental ring uh, that you can switch in the Microsoft Auto Update engine. Uh, and if you have a 365 or an Apple.com and a, cloud G, uh, a Gmail Cloud Cache account, you see a toggle at the top right. Right now it's off by default, so you need to opt in. The application switches and uh, syncs automatically the accounts that you had in your profile, and you can start using it uh, as of today. And you uh, can switch back if you... You can always switch back and forth because the product is not finished. Mm -hmm. There's uh, contacts, tasks, notes are not done. There's features that we keep on lighting up on a weekly basis. And we can, so it's not a hard cutoff. Like, you don't lose any of the data from the old profile. So if you decide to switch back, let's say sometimes I need to turn oof right now. It's going to be coming in soon. But if I turn my out of office uh, uh, notification, I switch back, I turn it on, and I go back. And you haven't lost any of the information because it's not a hard cutoff. Yeah. I, I love, oh, go ahead. Um, yeah, and being a part of Insider Fast with that toggle too is nice because then you can see the new features and functionalities as they roll out. Mm -hmm. And so you'll be able to really have an impact on um, giving feedback and seeing you know, what you like, what you don't, what you want to see, mm -hmm. and then um, really being able to experience that as soon as it hits the new outlook. And that was exactly the point I was going to make is I love the fact that we're, anyone can get involved now and actually see this stuff, right? It's, yeah. not, it's not like you need a secret handshake VIP pass to be able to peer behind mm -hmm. the curtain of this. Yeah. Anyone can just go. Okay, I, I'm gonna inside of you know inside of fast. Let's let's check it out. I'm gonna as soon as I get to the hotel later. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the same thing. Yeah. Just to check it out and uh, and, and and have a look because I think that's that's really exciting. Uh, bringing people into that. Absolutely, and have a look and give us feedback. Yeah, I mean this product is the result of listening to feedback. We could. I could have done more mistakes and continue on a path of mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm just this is the right way to go. Mm -hmm. And really, we talk with customers, um, and my back background history working as an engineer for almost ten years was like I was the first line of in the first line of support. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of empathy for that. So we asked you yesterday in the session, and if you look at at the notes or the video, is like we want you to give us feedback. Um, How do people do that? There's user voice. There's a, if you switch and you suggest a feature, you go to the user voice that is dedicated to the new product, not the old one. So the requests for the current version are separate, so we don't mix and match. Mm -hmm. um, In-app support, we strongly believe in-app support. It's been one of our stronger assets. We have a team of dedicated uh, uh, engineers that look at tickets that get created, but also our own team, my team, my PMs, engineers look at those at the backlog daily. We had a meeting just this morning looking at the first tickets coming from uh, the users of the new product. And also, um, there's going to be, if you're switched back or after three days, we're going to have a uh, NPS, a, a customer satisfaction uh, request with the possibility to give us uh, just a number. But I, we always love if people do just to take a little more to give us a number and give us some comments. Yeah, yeah. For us, really, from here on in, we have not announced when we're going to go to the next ring or when it's going to go to production because it's going to be a collaborative effort between our roadmap and customers, right? The product has only become real yesterday for us. Yes. And so right now, before we say, oh, it's going to be production in six months or three months or tomorrow, we need to make sure that we're on the right path. 
and we listen to the customer and, and do what they tell us to do what they really like or don't like. Mm. But we, I really think, uh, the, and we already collaborated with some enterprises, that what we already have right now, it's so fundamentally transformational that people are going to love it. And then the features that are not there, they're going to come, and there's going to always be more, even things that people don't have another pl yeah. product. Yeah. And I really just want to emphasize that too because being in a marketing role, you're always thinking about what the customer wants and like how these um, these cool new features and functionalities benefits them, but it's been so great to come in and see this like engineering team that every single thing that's built is because of feedback and because it's something that uh, customers were looking for and wanted to see. And so it, it's just like really exciting to be a part of um, such a user-centric uh, product. Yes. Uh, just to comment there, uh, Chris and I are often wanting to, especially on these shows, call out how much feedback is desired by the various groups that we talk to and that Microsoft really does care. Mm. You want to have the user feedback. You want to incorporate it in, into the product and it's not just a spray and pray on the website and hope that maybe one day someone will, will read the feedback that is actually used on a daily basis. Absolutely. Weekly. We have ship remaining every week where we look at tickets, we look at feedback on user voice and sentiment, adoption. And for us right now, we're of course, we're going to track people that switch and they switch back, how much they switch back, why they switch back, or why they don't. For us, getting a sense of really retention of the user on the new experience is going to be fundamental for us to say, are we on the right track or not? And we can really, uh, we're not going to make a decision to say, oh, you know, we're going to switch now, we're ready if the, in the, in the signals are not there, mm -hmm. right? And um, we strongly believe in this. I love coming to here to Ignite and uh, made a lot of friends, even difficult friendships, you yeah. know, when yeah. customers are not happy, <laughs> but it's still, it, it's a great way to say like, not simply dismiss and say, thanks for your feedback, but actually following up. Uh, some things that we do that we uh, introduce in Alpha from Mac and being cut on by the rest of the organization, for example, have been uh, tenant health analysis. And uh, it's something we strongly believe in. We have the metric to tell a, a customer, you know, when it comes to Outlook for Mac usage, you're seeing a lot of crashes because your builds, your overall population is on some older builds. Or maybe we've seen that the way you deploy or update forces the application to shut down. And we had a lot of positive, it's a great foot, uh, in a step in, first step in the, in the door to say, hey, we can tell you about your product, about your tenants, about your users. We're not talking about generalities. But if you do these three things, your customer user experience will be so much better. And that initiates great conversations about the product at a broader level because the first thing is customers want to be heard. Yes. And yes. don't want to hear generalities. Mm. And that's something that we, as Microsoft, especially since Satya came aboard, we're becoming much more attuned to and we're making the transformational effort. There's a huge synergy, especially in the Outlook and Exchange group between marketing and engineering. And sometimes it's difficult to, to draw the lines and understand where one starts and another begins. Since the two of you are both engaged in Outlook, can I ask that you explain to our listeners how that works, how marketing and engineering work together in an intertwined kind of fashion, and then what either one of you two do inside of that role? And I'm going to ask Jessica to, to start with that. Yeah, so um, with marketing, we uh, I think we focus a lot on um, a couple of things. So core product marketing to kind of understand um, what, what users want and help uh, look at the features from more of the kind of like customer focused side and how we talk about it and how we also make sure that we're aligning to our product roadmap and um, what just kind of make sure we're 
bringing it back to home base. You know what we have all kind of agreed upon is like what our product truth is and what the story we want to tell is. So just kind of, I guess, being that um, that kind of check to make sure that's there. Um, and then also we do some more of a go-to-market function as well. So just make sure that like people know about our features and our products and that um, we're, we're getting the feedback that we need and um, from the right people and we're getting everybody to try it. Um, but in terms of the, I think the relationship with marketing and engineering, it's, um, it's, it's kind of, I think, difficult to draw a line between, um, but I think that's a good thing. It's not that something uh, that uh, the marketing team does this and passes it off to engineering and then like, oh yeah, we're done. Um, and the same thing, vice versa. I think it's a, uh, it's a really tight relationship where we're all kind of like working together and uh, sitting with the teams and trying to like understand where each other is coming from. And um, that's what I think, you know, I, I recently joined Microsoft and it's been really energizing to see how, um, how excited everyone is um, just about making the product good. And um, especially on Outlook, working with the engineers, talking about, um, I know I had an instance where I was uh, talking to a PM about, you know, measuring just how, how you can tell if like people are engaging with the product and things like that. And um, he kind of caught me and just said that, yeah, like we, we care about engagement, but the real, like we have a greater mission of just wanting people to really like get what they want from Outlook, get what they need quickly. And so something like, just like with my day and how we added that to the new uh, Outlook for Mac UI, that's something that, I mean, you're, you're reducing the number of clicks and technically the time spent in the products, you're not clicking into the calendar, but it's so much better for the user and really helps them achieve those, um, the things that they want out of their life. And we are, I think, following Microsoft's mission in that and really empowering them. And so that's been really, it makes, I think, marketing a lot easier because I feel like we're very, we're aligned in that way. So it's been a really great relationship in my Wonderful. experience. Yeah. I, I look at that as the ability of bringing different perspectives to the, to the table. Yeah. Even, you know, um, we were kind of on the corner, especially by, before uh, Satya came on board. Other platforms didn't get a lot of traction or attention. There's a lot of horror stories we could share, but we're not. And so we develop into a team of, nah, we're cowboys, but you know what I mean. And just like, okay, we're kind of wild cards. We just do our own thing. We, we engage with customers. And we learn some aspects of engaging with customers. But it's still limited. And having the perspective of marketing and product management and uh, engineering, design, especially design, um, which was not something that we did strongly in the past, and product management, makes the conversation with the customer a lot richer. Our ability to uh, articulate our point, right? Because if I take my point of view and it's the leading aspect and I don't listen to other words, uh, other points of view, it's going to be one tone. And instead, like uh, Jessica and her team brings a different perspective of things and we cannot simply ignore it. Like we did in the past because people weren't paying attention to us. And, but then when we, we heard from uh, in the last four years, uh, Jessica's team want to be involved in this actively like great because we don't know a lot of things that you know yeah. and we need to inject that in the conversation to make our point a lot more valuable and more understandable by users uh, the roadmap who owns yes. that we share it I actually the world of I, I sorry I'm not no war stories more than, than enough but in the last 22 years we came from a world of uh, waterfall releases, right? Yes. And that was the roadmap was owned by a couple of guys in the team. After discussions, 
and basically that's, that's how we determine what's going to be in the box, what's not going to be in the box. Yeah. And then we do musical chairs at the end of the cycle, a bunch of new people being charged, we look at the old roadmap, throw it away, get another one, right? Now is really an effort. When you're trying to make a product that has great design, that has great engineering, that knows what the customer wants and delivers that, you can't you can simply say, well, there's a guy that owns it. Yes. We plan quarterly. We, we have a roadmap, our aspiration to make the product, our aspiration has always been make the product that on this platform, there's a platform of choice, is the client of choice. We want to be really the diamond uh, in the crown uh, of uh, uh, Mac applications. But you cannot do that by simply say, oh, I own the roadmap. I yeah. facilitate the roadmap, I can give guidance, but ultimately we want the team to be actively engaged in deciding what are the things we're going to do based on the data that we have. That's wonderful. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's challenging at times, but but uh, I feel that it it makes people come to work more engaged because they don't feel like I'm telling you to do feature X and do it. And it's like, yeah, okay, but what what's my involvement in this? Why am I motivated by it? And also, yeah, it makes it for a team that has to be that's significantly smaller than other other teams that has to be extremely focused, has to be also motivated. Yeah, Chris, do you want to? spend more time on, on um, some of the tech aspects or are we okay to, to ask some people questions? We can ask some people questions, I think. Mm. Yeah. We tend to be very excited about the, the people side of things yeah. on the podcast because somebody wants to be you and somebody wants to be you. And in the role that you have, it's very quickly to, um, to, to, to negate that except that everybody has a story, right? Because you think, uh, well, I'm just me, or you just you. So can you tell us a little bit more about you, starting with uh, Alessio, how did you become you at your role in Microsoft? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, mm, I, I, I was talking with a colleague yesterday and I was just saying like, I don't know how I got here. Uh, more than anything, it's it's not an a it was not a straight line. I I'm, I have an English it major. R very rarely is a straight line. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, and right. that's how I actually work in Microsoft for this this much time. You find that people from all different industries of different walks of life coming in and uh, and finding their home here. And really, I consider home um, as a great as a great company to continue being. I am an English major. Um, I was born and raised in Italy. I always a, a, a passionate computer user, never interested in coding. I was just always fascinated. My first computer was a Sinclair ZX81, something like that. Um, but I, was, I studied English. I was proficient in English pretty early. So when the industry revolution of the early 90s of starting to having to localize software uh, became a reality, my knowledge of English and my passion for computer kind of came together, started working as a translator, localizer. Uh, job came up in Microsoft Dublin uh, as a localizer engineer for Outlook. Actually, they didn't tell me what product it was. Yeah. I went there not knowing what I was going to work on. The code, code name was REN because there were two products, REN and Stimpy. They were being <laughs> run in parallel. They were being developed in parallel as experiments. Stimpy, haven't heard that one. Yeah, and ran one, and Outlook for Windows is ran. Yeah. Uh, and I worked on that uh, for about a year and worked at Microsoft. It was right at the at the release of Windows 95. And I was like, 
it was absurd to work for Microsoft. Like I'm, uh, I have, why am I here? But it was fantastic. It was you entered this organization that doesn't care whether what your title is or not. But if you are good at what you do, you're gonna get acknowledged and give you give opportunities to thrive. Um, after that, uh, two three years later, moved to um, Redmond, working in sustainable engineering uh, for nine years, which was great. It was in the in the era of. Uh, um, of waterfall releases, sustainable engineering a very specific role, and quite bluntly, we were the the bastion between engineers and customers. It was a different culture. It wasn't a great culture. It was like engineers don't need to be distracted by interaction with customers. So you are there so that customers are not getting in the way of engineers. What I a different world we live in now. Absolutely, mm -hmm. but that experience was absolutely fun fundamental for what I do now. I just like that empathy. Mm -hmm. When you feel that you're more like on the side of the customer instead of the company, was absolutely fundamental when the transformation of the company yeah. happened. Where it's like, no, no, this is an important element. And the beauty of Microsoft is you can have 15 careers, mm -hmm. right? Because you start in a job, you start another job, and then at one point you decide, I want to do product management proper and move to Outlook around 2006. Again, great product, great team, one of the greatest teams I've ever worked on. We're still friends. 15 years later, we meet every year in my house in, in California. Uh, all the PM team comes from all over the world because we're so tight. And then 2012, uh, the opportunity to lead the Mac team happened, and I moved from Seattle to California, and it's been great. It's been tough because the product was definitely in a rough shape, uh, and we there's a lot of work to do, but it was fantastic. And again, I cannot sing the praises of this company enough to give opportunity to a man like me. We really yeah, never never win it was an engineering hall all my life to, to actually thrive. Yeah, yeah. Well we are grateful with the output. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, one fun story that I can share is that I was the first person in Microsoft to send re use recall message. Oh, really? On fifty thousand people, oh. <laughs> when they didn't know the feature existed, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In nineteen eighty-six, so I thought I was gonna get fired yeah. that day because yeah. I just recalled I deleted messages from people mailboxes for the first time on an alias was called Shamrock, and that's uh, when we redesigned the feature because people would start sending mails like, "Why did you take my mail from you from me?" And that was <laughs> that was the first horror story. I thought that was gonna get asked to leave that day. <laughs> it's funny, we just spoke about that in our, in our previous show um, and what message recall is now and our guest started also in a very, very different career and he was a liberal arts major and now he owns transport. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's, I don't want to hear Jessica's story, but like sometimes we think, and I also come from a world and a country where actually the title matters a lot more than yeah. matters here, which is hilarious. Like, yeah. uh, no, you know, you're not an engineer. How can you be working at Microsoft? Like, that doesn't matter. Yeah. That doesn't matter as much as you think it does. Yes. Mm. So Jessica, let's hear about you. Yeah, so um, I am fresh to Microsoft. I've only been here for about a year and a half. Um, and so I was born and raised in Texas and uh, went to college at the University of Texas at Austin. And so um, I was uh, your pretty classic like business marketing major. And um, when I was going and looking for internships after my junior year, uh, Microsoft came to recruit. 
and um, I just like fell in love with it. I uh, was really interested in working in tech and I liked marketing, but I wanted something that was more uh, data driven and um, seemed like some more like meaty problems that like really had impact. And um, I was just really moved by Microsoft's mission in general and especially in recent years, it, you know, kind of making a comeback in that way. And um, I was lucky enough to land an internship and uh, and then get a full-time role as part of an a the ACE program. So it's a two-year rotational program within marketing where um, we take a bunch of diverse set of students from all across the, all across the country and the world even. We have a lot of international um, employees as well. And uh, we get a chance to just try a bunch of different stuff. So we I get two years. Um, two one-year rotations working on different teams throughout marketing. It can be anything from doing um, some like SQL coding in Azure to some of our like more communication stuff, so like running big events or like our hackathon. And um, I think to Alessio's point, just like so it really showcases the variety of things you can do at Microsoft. And um, after my internship, I was just so um, I was just so impressed with the company itself. It was just such an exciting place to work. Uh, I loved going to work. There were so many interesting problems to solve, so many interesting people, and um, and the culture I think was really great too. It's something that I didn't, um, I don't know. I think all throughout college, they kind of you'd hear about like companies and like their missions, and and to me, it was just like I, you know, I feel like this is kind of like marketing fluff. Yeah. Um, but I think when you when you get to Microsoft, it. It feels like like everyone knows it. Everyone talks about. It. Everyone talks about how energized they are about it and about the customer and just like empowering people. And it's just like a really great feeling, I think. And um, and talking about titles too, uh, I have just felt so welcomed and appreciated. Um, I think it can be very intimidating going into uh, a massive company like Microsoft, like right out of college, and you kind of feel like, yeah, you know stuff, but you it, it's easy to kind of have that imposter syndrome of like, oh, do I really deserve to be here? Everyone else has been here so long, and they're really smart, and you know, just like brilliant people, and um, everyone, it, it's everyone does have a really different perspective, and it was something that um, I never really that that kind of fear I think never really um, came to be because um, no matter who I was talking to, they were interested in what I knew and the perspective I had since um, we all have kind of different backgrounds and um, have been different places and we can all learn from each other and um, and so it's just great to be treated like just I think like an equal and feel like my uh, my voice is heard and um, and that I'm like listened to and appreciated and that everyone's so willing to help as well and um, and so like I mean it's it's kind of scary to like onboard onto new products and things and you've got all these people that are experts and you're trying to learn the acronyms um, but everyone is just has just been great and um, it's very collaborative and um, it's just it's really awesome to be able to work on something that you feel like touches a lot of people and so it's been really it's been really great and I'm excited to see where my career goes wow. from here. Imposter syndrome is very real around Redmond and the campus right and, mm -hmm. and like you know we're MVP. Nick, you like 14 year MVP at this point? Yeah. Yeah. So, Nick, you know, we've been in the community for a little while. Um, and then you still, you know, in, in March we were, we were uh, on campus MVP, for yeah, MVP Summit. And, um, and we got to meet uh, Jeffrey Snova. And he was just sitting right behind us. And, you know, we were kind of like sitting there listening to, you know, whatever the session was. And, and, and then and you turned around and were like, you know. Yeah. And, and the next thing we kind of, struck up a conversation with him right and 
it's a very real thing when you when you meet people like that and you go, wow, like this person is so down to earth and so humble and can spend 20 minutes just talking randomly about whatever it is. Um, so no, I can I can completely yeah. Under, you know. Yeah, and um, I know that with our ACE program, we are um, sponsored by our CMO Chris Capicella, and he's just phenomenal to be because I mean he's yeah. he's done all kinds of jobs and is just like knows Microsoft in and out. But he is just so um, he's so invested in the program and early mm -hmm. in career, and he just really he is so excited to listen to our opinion about um, what we think about the culture and diversity inclusion and just like open to those kinds of discussions, which makes it mm -hmm. a really awesome place to work um, yeah. to have all those people that are just like really care yeah well that's you know and I think the thing is is that um, when you all are excited and, and happy with what you're doing it it is seen from the the product perspective right those of us who are who are clicking the toggle to to check the new product or, or to test out the new product we can feel that enthusiasm that yes. was that gone into to actually building it and I think that's it's people don't necessarily think about it in that terms very often but I think that's really really important and vital really mm. Absolutely. I can say that uh, to Jessica and everyone that uh, imposter syndrome never goes away. <laughs> no, it just no ratchets sir. it up every day. Every yeah. day is like, okay, today was okay, but tomorrow we're going to find out. That's so <laughs> empowering to hear that. Yes. But, and I've learned it from, and it's empowering to hear from people that you work and you look up to. Yeah. And I had yeah. a lot of uh, the greatest thing, and I'm sure the other companies can say the same. It's not unique to Microsoft, but when you think about it, sometimes, sometimes a job can be very stressful, yeah. um, like any job. Yeah. But you think about like you're just in a think tank and a brain tank of people that you can always look up to and you always learn something. Mm. Uh, and sometimes you look at people somebody like, wow, you're so, I so wish I, would, I had the level of self-assurance and knowledge that you have. And then you talk and strike a conversation over, over a meal and, and you realize these people are just as much uh, you know, struck by imposter syndrome as you are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We had a conversation with a colleague not too long ago, and I was really surprised to hear it, but it was refreshing. If like, I'm not alone, mm. it doesn't go away. It doesn't make yeah. it go away, but at the same time, like, it's just a state of working on something that is so vital to people, so viscerally connected to what you do. Mm. Like, Outlook is on all the time. Yeah. Who would say, I'm going to shut down Outlook and come back later? Nobody no. does it. It's no on all does. the time, mm -hmm. and it sucks you in. And that creates a lot of attention and the ch decisions that you make make you uh, make you very anxious but sometimes you find people there you look up to and get inspired by and they tell you yep yeah, i suffer exactly as much as you do even more yeah yeah, yeah. so sadly we're coming up to the the top of the show and we'd love to know how can people find you if you want to be found so is there anything you'd like to share in terms of Twitter handles, LinkedIn profiles, um, could be an aka.ms URL? Let's start with you, Alicia. Um, I'm on uh, Twitter and I am on uh, LinkedIn. Um, my handle on uh, uh, Twitter is Alessio R. Uh, and um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. And, uh, but also, I'm not probably going to attach it to the notes uh, attached my email because they're like my work email is the best way to reach out a person who works on Outlook Yeah, and we mm -hmm. definitely want to hear from anybody and everybody that, uh, that uses the product or don't and would like but can't so we will include in the show notes Perfect. but let's just mention it A-R-O-I-C at Microsoft.com nice it's the alias yes yes yeah and um, a good way to reach me is also my email, J-E-W-I-L-C-Z-E -E at Microsoft.com, um, or my LinkedIn. Yeah. 
I'm not really on Twitter. I know it's a millennial Gen Z. That's that's a little odd, but yeah, that's probably the best way to reach me. And yeah. will you two quickly share what is the kind of thing you want to be emailed on as opposed to just the news and the weather? <laughs> Definitely. Um. I I would say I mean I'm open to anything. I mean I'm since like I said since I'm new like I I I'm always happy to like talk about anything or um, answer questions or uh, just get any feedback. I think that's like something I'm really trying to immerse myself in right now is just like seeing really being able to like talk to those uh, customers and users and see what they think. So I'm an open book. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And user voice is important, right? Absolutely. We, it's, it's something we, we, we uh, you know, every team is looking at it and, and we can't sort of uh, talk about it enough, right? So yeah. get on to user voice. Yeah. If there's something that you uh, want to provide feedback on, put it there. The folks are looking at it and they're taking that stuff seriously. So yeah, Absolutely. Excellent. And, Good. And for me, uh, email me for, for example, if there's admins, and I know there's a lot of people here that are admins on, the, on this audience. So if you have attendance on 365 and you can talk to us about what the health of your population that uses Apple for Mac or Office for Mac is, reach out to me. We have ways okay. to share that and to talk in detail what, what we need to do and what you need to do to make your experience better. It can go from the way you deploy to what deployment solution you use or just updating Outlook or maybe some plugin that it's a, has been unruly. But also, uh, what you like, what you like about the product. One thing I don't want to hear about, tell me when you're going to implement recall message because that's <laughs> never going to come. Sorry. <laughs> I don't want to end on a downer, but we're never going to bring that thing in not because I would say if there's enough demand, we're going to def- d- d- develop a way that works on the service. Uh, that works once and for all, that it's not just a placebo button, but accept the reality that we call message doesn't really work. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. That is stunning. Thank you both. It's been a great show. We've appreciated having both of you on. So Likewise. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Before you go, we just wanted to say thank you for listening. We really enjoy putting this podcast together for you every two weeks. Please visit us at thearchitects.cloud. Alternatively, drop us a tweet. We'd love to hear what you have to say. At the Cloud Arc.